Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Das ist meine letzte Show in Deutschland. Wir hatten eine fantastische Tour. Heute sind wir live in Fernsehen. So, das ist mein Beitrag für Europa. Live in Frankfurt is probably the closest Billy Joel got to being in a Spinal Tap sequel. The show, recorded on June 18, 1994, is just as notable for his mishaps as it is the band's solid performance. The show captures the band on the River of Dreams tour and the full video gives a warts-and-all look at what can go wrong at a concert. We watch as the band struggles through what appears to be stifling heat inside the arena and navigates the pitfalls of faulty stage mechanics. Still, the seven-piece ensemble puts on a scorching performance, with plenty of spotlights on the various players, and Billy loosening up and getting a little daring by the end of the show. A truncated version of the concert was released with the My Lives box set in 2005, and as a standalone DVD release titled Live from the River of Dreams Tour in 2007. Since then, the full show has cropped up on YouTube. For this episode, we're reviewing the entire performance. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel Live in Frankfurt, June 18, 1994. This is another sort of curious concert where you're kind of watching and you're wondering, like, what's what's his mood? What's Billy thinking right now? Because he doesn't look happy the whole time. Then he starts no. looking happy. Then he's a little beleaguered. And then he looks happy again. It kind of goes back and forth. Like, the, the energy kind of ebbs and flows. And <laughs> I'm like, is he hungover? Is he tired? Is he just warm? And I, I'm leaning towards the latter, too, because Billy does make a comment during this concert about the the air conditioning. <laughs> well, we get to it, but yeah, by the end, he makes no bones about it. This is an apropos episode to be recording as the summer starts kicking in here, huh? We're recording this on Monday, May 15th, and, you know, usually it's not till July, August where we start getting stupid heat waves, but we're in the middle of like a three-day stretch of like 93 degrees, and it's just been uncomfortably warm, so I can certainly relate to, to that. <laughs> Watching this show... And again, we're talking about Billy Joel live from Frankfurt, Germany at Fest Hall. And this is June 18th, 1994. So this is the River of Dreams tour. It's one of those situations where it's not a remarkable show per se. There's nothing particularly unique about it. But I love that it exists because it captures the band as they were on the River of Dreams tour. And we haven't seen a whole lot of that footage. There is some funny stuff to watch here. And... To me, the, the sort of through line was 
where's Billy? Where is he going? <laughs> he had like three stations. He had the twirling keyboard. The piano was going up and down through the, through the stage. I think that's what pissed him off. I think there was a spinal tap moment in there when something wasn't working. I remember also seeing Billy on this tour three times in Detroit. This was one of the times it happened where Liberty's drums got stuck under the stage at the beginning. Well, the piano gets stuck too. So there's several months into this tour now and they're still having troubles with those hydraulics. But I think that actually put him in a good mood once, it, once the piano came all the way up. He seemed to be like laughing about it at that point. Well, we'll get to it, but like it, it, seemed, it looks to me like the piano comes up through the stage, but then can also go down, back down the stage and across the stage underneath and come back up in the rear of the stage behind Liberty. See, I think it's two different pianos. You think it's two different pianos? But then he's, got, he's still got to be going down under the stage. No, because I'm telling you, well, maybe, because you, they're never both on the stage at the same time. The piano that's downstage in front of the audience is, is too low for him to be on it while it's under the stage. However, the one behind Liberty is further up. So right. he ducks off stage. He'll just go off stage, go underneath, sit out and come up with it. That's what he was doing. Yeah, but still, that's got to be freaking weird, man. Like, you know, for a guy that wants to be as organic as he is, like, and all of a sudden I'm off stage and I'm in this cavern for a second and I'm coming right. back up. I hope he's not claustrophobic. Dude. I feel like I we're getting we'll ahead of ourselves, but yeah. What's that? I know we'll probably cut this out because it's Metallica, but they just started their tour last <laughs> month. Yeah. And Lars has four kits on stage. Uh-huh. Well, they're underneath and they come up like that. Every four songs, he goes to a different song or whatever, or a different kit. The stage is low enough to where the cymbals can't be on until the door trap doors open. Huh. So somebody who is positioned near one of the drum kits, like the trap door opens, and then you see the text underneath descend upon it, putting symbols on. Oh, geez. And then it starts <laughs> to go up, but it's not all the way up by the time Lars, Lars has to be on it. So he hops right. down into the pit, sits down, and the, <laughs> the drums keep going up. Yeah, so I guess they've, they've gotten at least a little better at it. <laughs> They're still doing it 30, 40 years later, huh? Yeah, so let's let's jump into this particular concert, though. Before we get into the songs, uh, here's the band. This was the River of Dreams tour. So this was the pretty consistent lineup throughout. Obviously, you have Billy Joel, Liberty DeVito on drums, Mark Rivera on saxes and percussion and guitar, Crystal Taliaferro on saxes and guitar and percussion, Tommy Burns on guitar and vocals, obviously Crystal and Mark singing as well, David Rosenthal. Uh, it was his first tour, the River of Dreams tour, uh, on keyboards. And then you had T-Bone Walk, who was the bass player on the River of Dreams cycle as well. And if you recognize T-Bone at all, um, if you were a kid our age and grew up watching Saturday Night Live in the late 80s, early 90s, you certainly saw T-Bone as the bassist for G.E. Smith and the Saturday Night Live band. He was also best known as the bass player for Daryl Hall and John Oates. It's worth noting, too, on this tour, there was only one full-time guitar player in Tommy Burns. So this tour, you had Mark and Crystal both playing guitar quite a bit more. It's a fairly robust show. Tops out over two hours, 21 songs. Includes a cover, and this was actually a, a full cover, not just like a, you know, a snippet of it in the middle of something else or noodling around on it, something like that. He does a full Beatles cover. Yeah, and he would continue doing this song uh, throughout the face-to-face -face tour and... Yeah, throughout most of this River of Dreams album cycle, and we'll certainly get into that as we go through this song list. Jumping right in with No Man's Land, which was the opener for pretty much the whole tour, right? Or at least the bulk of it? Yeah, it, it certainly was. And 
in contrast to other Billy Joel tours, there's no uh, piano to start the show. We talked about the piano and also the drums being on these hydraulic systems coming up. The stage starts pretty bare, no drums, no piano. And with No Man's Leg kicking off, Billy counts into it and you see Liberty's drums start to rise up from the bottom. Yeah, it's a nice effect. This was definitely a minimalist stage uh, so that, you know, there's a little bit of stagecraft going on there. What I noticed early on was just how disparately everybody's dressed in this concert. Uh, mm -hmm. There's really no no uniformity to what they're wearing. No, kind of similarly to how the guys were on live from Long Island. Everyone kind of has their own thing. Nothing was tied into the other. At least live from Long Island, they all at least look sort of of the same era. This, it was like, you know, Crystal's got like this red leather top. Tommy's rocking a tank top. Uh, Liberty's wearing like a gray or uh, a teal hoodie. With dad jeans. Yeah, with dad jeans on. Yeah, and then Billy, as we see by the end, is just wearing a black t-shirt underneath a sports coat. And then, you know, and then Mark's dressed kind of nice, you know, and uh, so Dave Rosenthal's uh, wearing like a red sort of paisley shirt with his long blonde hair. T-Bone is in his usual uh, vest and a cowboy hat. So it's a definitely an interesting cast of characters, looks like. Uh, we get some extra Tommy licks on this. Tommy has a few spotlights in this show. Yeah, he really did. I, I noticed how well he was playing. Uh, this era, especially, some really tasteful, tasty guitar stuff from Tommy. Certainly highlighted here. And it's worth noting, Billy's got a guitar on. And then you also have, obviously, Tommy. But Mark is also playing guitar as well. And then so we have one of the heaviest one-two openings in a Billy Joel set list. We go right into Pressure, which gives yep. us two, you know, kind of dark, uh, driving heavy songs. Despite that, though, his... His vocals are, are kind of lackadaisical on this one. We've seen him really get into this one before. We've seen yeah. him get a little gritty. We've seen him do like sort of the Vincent Price, like haunted kind of sound. And this time he's just sort of like, eh, kind of pretends what's about to happen through at least one leg of this show. Almost a little lethargic. The vocals are a little less pointed, more rounded in the delivery. This is also where you see some movement in Liberty's drums at the beginning of the song. Not only do the drums go up and down, but they rotate. And so you see them rotate and position angled a little bit from where they were in the first song you also see billy on the uh, on the keyboard which which turned little, right. little gadget they had on this tour so he's on uh what, what just a, i mean it's just a yamaha it's not like anything of uh yeah like it's just really distinct synth playing just a lot of yamaha and maybe korg k-o-r-g basically a, a a good midi controller <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, you know it, but it seems to me like i, I feel like he, he it didn't feel very natural to him for him to be like turning around i couldn't quite gauge if he was controlling the movement yeah. or if somebody else was i i can imagine somewhere he said he must have felt like captain kirk or something just like standing there like yeah you know it's really interesting i'm gonna mention this just in passing because it, it really just now made me think how the billy joel keyboard auxiliary keyboard set up for him and the keyboard players have changed over the years. In the late 70s and early 80s with Richie, there was like a Yamaha CP80 with maybe a keyboard on top of it and then a, a Hammond. Pretty standard stuff for the late 70s. By 1982, when yeah. you have David LeBolt in the band, now you're looking at like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, 50 million keyboards in this little nook of the stage that it's like swallowing LeBolt. Contrast <laughs> that with 1986 and seven on the bridge tour. There's a few Yamaha CP80s, but then two random keyboards staggered throughout the stage with nothing else around them. They're just like standalone keyboards. So there's hardly anything there. Stormfront kind of similar, except now we get rid of the CP80. And then now here you have the keyboard still with River of Dreams. He is like so disinterested. I think he's already getting hot because he's already like kind of yeah. going out on his uh, coat a little, looking a little like bored slash pissed off. But it's funny because like 
Crystal and, and Lib are really going at it. Lib's like already <laughs> bathed in sweat, as the saying goes. <laughs> yeah, but he hasn't um, lost, has his, lost style. his style there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's really going for it. You know, and Crystal's doing plenty to be a focal point between No Man's Land and Pressure. You you see like everybody sort of moving. Well, him and, and T-Bone are definitely moving from one place to another, setting up different yeah. blocking or different positions. What I'd love to see in the future, if any exists, any production rehearsal footage. You know, because it's I mean the band's doing what they do, but every tour you'd have a new stage to work with so it's just a, a matter of yeah. figuring out the stage and the blocking and you know oh okay so david's gonna move over here during this part or you know tommy's gonna step toward this side of the stage for this song you know it's interesting to see them learn a new stage and play it like an instrument as well yeah because we know there was always a lot of experimentation with billy's setups because they you know they had to, the crew had the longevity to to try things out and develop new ideas after pressure, you see the piano rise out of the stage for the first time, and we are going into the ballad of Billy the Kid next, but not before Billy uh, addresses the crowd and speaks quite a bit in German. Sounds to my naive ears like pretty good German. Could be terrible, but I bought it <laughs> <laughs> as an American kid. Well, I think we had this discussion when we had the watch party. I think, I think Molly was saying she speaks German and, and could vouch for his prowess. Well, I think that probably has to do with his dad and his brother. And his penchant for mimicry. He seems to get a little happy, you know, doing that part. He, he sort of goes back to looking a little frustrated, but he's, he's enjoying himself speaking German and, and kind of connecting with the crowd that way. He does a lot of looking up and around in this one, and not in his usual way. Like, a lot of times, camera will focus on him, like, just digging the crowd, you know, like, checking it all out. This time, it looks like he's looking for somebody up in the rafters, like he's waiting for a cue or something. Looking to see if air's blowing down or something he's just like maybe yeah you know <laughs> like, what i mean what's going on man yeah he just seems like yeah. kind of like eyes were almost rolling to the back of his head he's just kind of like wasn't there i don't know it was a very interesting right. look music wise though i have to say that by now the synths are catching up they don't sound as cheesy as we've heard in some other live uh, in some other concerts from maybe the past let's say decade they try to get back to using strings or string sounds and they sounded like synths and now yeah. it's sounding a little more like an actual orchestra or at least not a cheese a lot of mark on guitar on this one though crystals playing harmonic on the song in this era one thing that always bothered me about this song was the guitar part during the piano licks oh. at some point mm -hmm. they started going up on the second set of they cha changed oh. it at some point and it just bothers me um Probably bothers huh. nobody else in the world, but I, I don't like it. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> so, Tommy, if you're listening, and we know that you're not. <laughs> hey, you never know at this point. Again, it's personal preferences, but quite often they're staying true to the original arrangements. But I get it. They want to do something different and put their own little spin on it. You hear it differently. You keep doing it over and over again. You start hearing parts that aren't there anyway, and uh, you go for yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. So that brings us to Leningrad. He gets a little more spirit in his voice in this one, and... You know, I can't help but think, being the history buff that he is, being in Germany not that long after the Berlin Wall has fallen, that he probably recognizes some gravitas in this. It seems to really address it, I guess you would say. And I like how he says that this song is not so much about a city. This is a prime example of a song where, you know, Billy could take like an American or a national or an international issue or story, but break it down to the relationship between people. So Leningrad was certainly the yeah. setting, but it was really about the friendship between Billy and Victor. I love this song live. I wish it stuck around longer than it did. I know he plays it every now and again still, but beautiful, powerful song. Really is. It almost 
ran the risk of getting dated and it just didn't you know this one just went away for a while and i think maybe it was a good thing that it did because uh it kind of works when he plays it every so often you know it's very poignant one thing i noticed too in the mm -hmm. crowd is seeing the lighters go up it's funny that that's like a bygone thing at concerts these days everyone holds up their phone yeah. now that was the thing. I remember even when I didn't smoke, you made sure you had a lighter for the concert. I had a Zippo. I never smoked. and But like yeah. it was, is right. what you did. We go from there into Angry Young Man. The coat's off. We have a lot of interaction with Crystal. Crystal's mugging a whole lot. And her mic is off for a little while. Yeah, that must have uh, pissed him off too. Like this, this may have been not the best technical night. Yeah, so this also was released on the My Lives box set. This is the bonus DVD that comes with it. But it's a much shorter version. You're only getting partial set list. You're not getting the whole show. And it was also released as a standalone DVD at Walmart around that time. Yeah, one thing I noticed too about Angry Young Man here is, uh, especially for it being the Liberty DeVito era still, uh, it's quite a bit slower mm -hmm. than Liberty <laughs> usually puts it. I, I blame that on, uh, <laughs> it's just how like, Hot and muggy this, this place must have been. You have to learn to pace yourself, is what you're saying. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm here all night, folks. I think Billy's wearing, like, white tube socks. <laughs> yeah, all black with white socks. That was kind of a yeah. interesting... It's a Gene Vincent kind of thing going there. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, the hit parade, so to speak, continues. We have Allentown. Not a whole bunch to say, but there's an interesting coda at the end of this that we don't hear all that often. Which I liked. No, it's nice, because Allentown, is, it's done a lot, and it's, you know, it's a good song, but it, there's not too much going on there. Um, doesn't have to be, so, so to get, like, a little, like, sort of bonus tag to it, it's fun to hear that different ending. Throughout, though, I'm noticing Billy is definitely looking tired and warm. I, I took note during this song, too, of the uh, stage lighting, circular patterns on the stage. I thought that was a nice touch from Steve Cohen. I really I dug that. If you looked at the wide shots of the stage during Allentown, there was some nice circular spots or patterns on the stage. And the last thing I have on this one is nice solo from Tommy. He often does his own thing a bit on this, but this one was pretty, pretty close to the original and great feel. Had really good tone. He definitely has a couple spotlights in this in this show. He's playing really well tonight. Now we have scenes, and it's funny to hear this one so early. You know, it's like live from Long Island. It's like, wow, Piano Man is so early in the set. It's before it was quite what it was. I mean, it was already the crowd favorite, but it they weren't structuring their sets with these uh, the rock blocks at the end like they <laughs> have in the last ten years. Well, I mean, I think they were. It's just that this one wasn't the kickoff to it yet. Nice sax work from Mark. Now, do you see the part where he's sort of pulling on the piano? Yes. So, yeah, something's going on there. You know, enough for him to stop playing. It was like out of position a little bit or something weird was happening. See, to me, that has to speak to something that happened earlier, maybe with a coming up or something, because like, you know, it certainly can't be affecting his playing because you would just shift a half, right. you know, two, three inches in your seat and be done with it. So I, I think that... Um, he was either trying to fix it or I think he was like really sending a signal to somebody. Yeah. And like, you're not doing your job because I have to stop playing and, and, and tug this piano back into place. <laughs> he has a, you know, a roadie helps him put on the guitar. Like you're telling me a roadie's not going to come over and fix the piano. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, exactly. When, as needed, you know, put it back <laughs> into position. Yeah. He puts his hand up the lip. He definitely signals something to Liberty in this. I don't know what it means though. You, you think like he's waving something off. There's nothing in this one that usually gets... There's no usual like, fly to fancy or like improvisation, improvisational moment through it. 39, 28, he starts to like really, really tugging on the piano there. You see, what's funny about that is like, you know, the camera didn't need to dwell on that. 
Right. <laughs> I'm sure they had another angle. Yeah. Uh, then he throws up his hand. He's kind of like, oh, well, what do you want me to do about it? Okay, so just before that, he's rotating, and then and then it happens, right? I can't tell if he's rotating or the camera is moving. Looks like the camera's moving. Oh, but he's facing the other way, so he must have been moving at some point. You see him rotating. Oh, now he's moving. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right before it cuts to Mark. And then wide shot, you don't can't tell. And then here, boom. But then watch right after this. If you look at the front leg of the piano, it looks like it's right on the edge. I wonder if it got caught. It's squarely in the middle of the turntable. It must have been like out of the bracket or something. Maybe. I wonder if it was sliding away when it was moving. Yeah. Uh, you know what just occurred to me? Sometimes they, it looks like sometimes they use a, uh, I forget which lens. I think it's like a long lens that eliminates depth of field. When they shoot Billy with Liberty behind him, they seem to use that angle so they look like they're right on top of each other. Right around 40 minutes, 15 seconds, like it looks like they're right next to each other. But then when it cuts to another shot, you can see the distance between Billy and the, and the drum riser. And you know what? Now, if you go back, you're going to see that. I think you're going to see that a lot in different uh, live videos. You can really shoot this to make him look isolated on stage. Yeah. You can really highlight the physical distance between all these players, which they do sometimes. They kind of shoot Billy in a way that makes him look like he's by himself. Or there are moments, I think, where other people are taking the spotlight, but they just focus on him and he just seems to be like plunking at the keys. That speaks to what a director can do, <laughs> you know, to really alter the mood and the feel of a live show by the choice of camera angles that they use at different times. We noticed that in Yankee Stadium because, you know, with a brand new edit, they were able to create some new emotional moments that weren't necessarily in the original. And I thought that was part of the genius of John Small telling the editor, like, don't look at the original. I want to see yeah. where the songs take you and the footage takes you. Right. Uh, because yeah, let them breathe. Everyone's going to have a different approach to it and they can create something totally different. Can we get like the Billy Joe concert version of Gunsmoke? You know, you know, like the Gunsmoke episode that everybody got to edit when they were in film school? That's right. Yeah, seriously. Now we get into some deep ballad territory. We have Honesty. Honesty um, always tickles me a little in front of a foreign audience because it's so lyric driven. A lot of people in other countries know English much more than we know other languages. But this one always goes over and it was a hit in Japan, right? Yes, it was. Uh, really gets his... Uh, 70s voice going on this really you know channels a younger billy and there was also one spot where his voice was breaking just a little bit that reminded me of russia where his voice was a little strained but overall he was definitely sounding like the late 70s billy this is a highlight of this show this version of honesty this is like the kind of reason yeah. why you watch then just sometimes man something just hits the right way and you're like i really like that version like i would go back and seek out that performance of this song. You know, once again, the synths are blending quite nicely and where occasionally they didn't, which could also be the fault of a bootleg. Keep thinking of uh, like the Kieran Dry gigs. There were some times where the synths really sounded like out of place, but you know, you're not exactly getting the best recording. You know, it could just been the frequency that, that made it, that cut through the din. <laughs> yeah, so now this is a spot where Billy ducks off stage for the beginning of my life and his piano goes away, heads underneath the stage here. So now he's being a goofball because he's kind of like, bopping around as he's coming up the step yeah as he's coming up doing the head wiggle Lib looks like he's having heartburn for a moment again you know they, they chose to dwell on liberty for this moment where he like looked like he's burping or something and he's like kind of rubbing his chest with one hand and playing with the other and then billy's definitely like throwing hand signals at the at the crew yeah uh, you know as he's coming up you know the microphone's bouncing all over the place he's looking down trying to figure out you know what, what's kind of happening there and then he starts doing his little bouncy thing and then he's definitely, you know, trying to signal to somebody what, the, you know, what to do. Monitors. Oh, is it the monitors, you think? Yeah, because I can 
signal something and then I think he does like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yeah, he goes up and down, yeah. Yeah, which is like the universal. Oh, yeah, like, you're right. Yeah, he points at the piano and says, yeah. Yeah, piano up. My life starts with a Liberty T-bone groove to allow Billy get mm-hmm. into place for this. And Liberty's drums rotate. And they actually, his drums dip down a little bit. Liberty's drums aren't all the way up. They dip down so you can see Billy right. behind him. Real shotgun drum sound on this one. But it does have the nice stretch out in the beginning, which I always enjoy. And, yeah. And this one with, with T-bone kind of slapping along too. Yeah, you know, it's a nice mix. Yeah, he's got a nice always the closest there. we get to a Liberty solo. You know, I'm watching Liberty fate because he's facing Billy for this song, so almost the entire crowd is behind him. That must feel kind of weird. Yeah, and the rest of the band is looking the other way too. Like Crystal <laughs> looks fairly close, so it's like, how are you not tempted to look backwards? <laughs> that is always a nice, a nice touch, especially when you play in an arena that big, play to the behind the stage crowd. You know, and I want to comment too on Billy's uh, look. We talked about what he's wearing, but he is. No gray in the hair, and he's clean shaven, which is not how this tour yeah. started. He started out with full gray beard, goatee, and a little bit of salt and pepper in the hair, just a little bit. This was just about two, three weeks before the face-to-face tour started with Elton John in America. You are seeing a snapshot of pretty much how this band looked on the face-to-face tour. Now, I said Liberty was wearing a green hoodie. I could have sworn it was a hoodie. It's a weird thing to wear. Why do you have a hood on stage? Like, was at this point, Liv's just like, dude, I'm going to wear what the hell I want. Like, <laughs> well, shoot, live from Long Island, he's wearing sweats. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like Van Halen did on the uh, 5150 tour or whatever it was. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> They're all wearing like pajamas and sweats and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, fast forward today, and now they have like the fancy sweatpants that dudes wear out now. And I'm like, that's oh, how right. I know I'm getting old. I'm like, ah, you don't even have jeans on, you slob, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, leisure wear or whatever they call it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but anyway, but he's definitely loosening up now. Um, he's yeah. taking some vocal flights of fancy on the bridge again. Whatever was bugging him seemed to clear up now. I think just maybe he was dreading that second piano. Maybe they had a problem with it before. Yeah. And now he's like, ah, we made it. He's a little looser now. He's still sweaty. You right. can see him wiping the sweat from his yeah. brow. I, you know, maybe it's a different positioning. Maybe that makes a difference to him. Maybe, you know, seeing the people behind the stage, doing a little something back there. And I believe that second piano is shorter than the other one, too. Closer to everybody else now, so that probably makes a difference. Yeah, even by the end of it, you know, even Liberty's facing the other way. And then he gets up and, you know, there's a little cinematic slide of hand here because it, it pans out so you can see the whole crowd. And we don't see where he's walking to right now. We don't see the piano come up, anything like that. It seems like he gets like pissed off again, because <laughs> now he's got the uh, he's got the, the jacket off. He's like, ah. perfect transition of uh, into the next song then with "I Go to Extremes." <laughs> right. <laughs> Senior member of the band Liberty DeVito, <laughs> and we go into that classic DeVito groove. I'm watching as Liberty stands up during the intro. It's like a button-down yeah. hoodie with a V-neck and no sleeves. It's really kind of weird. It's like a gym outfit. Look at the crowd going crazy during I Go to Extremes, though. Really, like, you see them all just clapping in unison, like, huge. Yeah. And it's funny because he's, like, just, and now he's in the back, and he's just, like, like, really, it seems like he's trying to muster it up at times. Chris was really exploring the space, filling out a lot on this one. Yeah, her vocals were fantastic here. Yeah, just really solid overall here. There's a point to where he just starts slamming down on the piano and not not in the usual uh, playing theatrical moment, throws his hands down. Now he's, you know, he's really sweating his ass off. <laughs> I know. And T-Bone seems cool yeah, as a uh, cucumber. Throws in Yankee Doodle Dandy at the end. At the end of this one, he is <laughs> hot in here, friggin' air conditioner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just dripping now the entire time. He's 
Oh, did he grab some water and pour it on his chest? Slammed it, yeah, he slammed his fist down like on the pi- on the top of the piano, not like he was playing. Yeah, he's, he's drinking the water as he's playing. We're at this point in the show now where everybody is just looks like a freaking wet rat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like everyone is just like soggy. T-Bone's got like his collar all the way up. What is he, a lizard? <laughs> I know. That's crazy. Is he like from Texas or something? Is he like, well, this is about right? I think I can, he's from I can New York. Take off my winter coat. Yeah, where's T-Bone from? Let's see. New York, Yonkers. We take it real far down. We get we go down to an innocent man. Billy goes and dries off. He really has a lot of fun on an innocent man. For what seems like it could be a really heavy lift vocally, you know, not only in the parts that he hands off the crystal, but also just you know, it's so spare otherwise, and it's really just hanging on those vocals. For some reason, like he's always just really at home doing this one yeah yeah there's that nice moment where he's just got his hand in his pocket and he's sort of framed you know and this is the one song from this album that feels the most timeless it's definitely like pastiche but it right. it's not they're all clearly homages to the songs that inspired them which you'll hear in my playlist episode coming up but for some reason this one transcended that it doesn't feel like a throwback when he plays it live where uptown girl keeping the faith those songs which i love they still feel very much of that time when this one just seemed to move past. It's the one that stays in the set the most often. It's the, yeah. Which you wouldn't think it would because it's so long, but yeah, it does. It works every time. Worked when we saw him too. 90% of the time it works every time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so we come out of an innocent man going into another River of Dreams track, which wouldn't stick around really after this tour. And you've got Shades of Grey. Billy's back on the auxiliary Korg keyboard. Yeah, he doesn't do the bop-bahs on Shades of Grey, which I found interesting because his voice is so prominent on the record. It's largely Mark and Crystal here. A lot of Crystal on this one. A lot of uh, vocals and, and, you know, really doing a bit of almost uh, stage acting, so to speak. You know, really, I don't want to say hamming it up because it makes it sound cheap, but, you mm-hmm. know, definitely being a focal point is a, is a better way to put it. You know, yeah. when, when you're on a stage this big, like, it's no accident that she's moving around and, and doing as much as she is. When you see it on camera... When you see it on you know on YouTube or something, it really seems like she's hamming it. But you have to remember that this is in uh, a stadium, you know, or an arena. So yep. she's playing to the back of the room. She, nobody but the cameraman and the crew is so close that you could see every bit of emotion on her face. And that was a big reason, yeah. too, why Liberty always talked about how he played so animated. He's like, we want the people with the worst seats to still feel like they're seeing what we're doing. And so by exaggerating right. those moves, you know, it makes it a lot more prevalent. To somebody in the 300 level yeah i mean i remember being in the 300 level and you could see him moving around <laughs> right more than anyone else you know i'm looking at liberty's drums too one thing that i don't was only during this era maybe on stormfront as well but liberty had a set of timbales to his left yeah you know i noticed those too because i've been i've been eyeing up um a couple seven pieces for myself which i'm not gonna buy anytime soon but i'm like man you got a seven piece and you got timbales like you lucky duck you <laughs> and you know how to set them up yeah interesting setup here but yeah i thought this one had good energy i would have liked to have seen where they went with it like if they kept playing this live if it survived the tour i feel like it could have uh developed into a pretty good live song and it's one that i like more and more sort of the older i get you know when you when you can latch onto those lyrics a little more um yeah. i think you know when you're a kid you have an idea of what it's about you, you don't really appreciate it which is kind of like the theme of the, of the song in a way. The yeah, more, right. <laughs> you know, the older you get, the more you... Well played, Mr. Joel. <laughs> We've got a one-two punch for the River of Dreams album with the title track coming in here. Vocals are really good. Well, you realize what's different about River of Dreams than, than some of Billy's other songs uh, is 
what a steady groove it is. There aren't breaks. There's not like like turn on a dime stuff. There's none of this and that. It just it just rides. And that, and that's nice when the when the band like just just kind of settles into it. I almost think that you know maybe them being a little tired and beleaguered helped this one, where like you're not getting so excited that you're making it angular. Yeah, you're pushing it too much. You're kind of laying it. Yeah, laying back yeah. You're not it. pushing. Yeah, you're you're just really rolling in it right now. Yeah, I think for this song, it works to that advantage for sure. Yeah, you're talking about the breaks in the songs during the the last big one, the crowd singing the chorus, or the verse rather. And that's we don't see that a lot for this one. I'm trying to get no. my second set of notes here. So we're coming out of River of Dreams, going into Goodnight Saigon, and I always feel like no matter where it is in the set, it's just kind of an awkwardly placed song. How do you go in and out of it? You can't do anything fun on either side of it. There's got to be gravitas, which he kind of does here. Like River of Dreams is like a spiritual thing. We didn't start the fire. You know, Lib stands up and he's playing the shakers with Crystal. Knowing what we know about Lib and having poured over so many of these videos, to me, there's almost a moment of tension there because we know he's like the class clown on stage. And it's like, dude, what do you, what, what you're standing up? What are you about to do during Goodnight Saigon? You know, he's not going to do anything stupid, but like, right. Oh, uh oh, the class clown is standing up. Like, what's about? What's about to happen? Yeah, you know, is he going to mug or something? And he doesn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's unexpected, you know, because both of them are, are usually his foil, you know, and in, in an ejacular way, Crystal and Lib. This is a little slow. This one definitely is is down on tempo. Uh, near the end, I, I thought Tommy had some nice guitar textures going on that weren't originally on older versions and on the studio recording. Very subtle, very understated, but just he added some nice color. You also get like some military snare at the end from Lib. We usually don't see that. I think there was a pretty large chorus this time around. I think we've seen smaller choruses. Now, Shay was huge. Shay had right. a lot of people. This one, I think, had more than the usual, and they were higher in the mix. Billy's voice a little bit, too, is a little a little more throaty. Like, I'm hearing what I was hearing in Russia on this song a little bit as well, where there's just a little mm. bit more, not like a little more tension in his vocal. Yeah, where he's not like that, that kind of open-throated, flowing out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he doesn't lean into Charlie as, as hard as he sometimes does. So we're going into the next song here, and we're bringing it back up with We Didn't Start the Fire. And one thing I thought was interesting out of the gate is that the piano, even though he's not on the piano, the piano stays up. Yeah, and this one's a little down-tempo, too. But he's also got his sleeves all the way up, so you think like the whole band's just uh, yeah. <laughs> feeling fatigue. There's another one where the crowd is just, like, moving. The crowd shots. Yeah. So many of these songs are, like, you know, not just straight rhythmic that you know they're energetic and you know when you can actually get a piece of it that way this is another one he almost sounds bored he starts throwing in a lid of, of the vincent price voice that he sometimes uses on pressure but not a lot just like sometimes i wonder if he didn't know exactly what to do with the song live because i didn't i don't think he wanted to go as over the top vocally as he did on the record but then where where else what else do you do with it but we have some nice guitar from tommy uh, we yep. got a cocky smile out of billy towards the end coming out of it going into the cover of the night kind of like honesty like he, he you know he gives us a little bit of uh, biographical information in english but I, I bet you most of the people understood him when he said you know this is the beatles they got me you know if it wasn't for them i'm wouldn't be here right now. You know, I wonder why he chose to do a cover on this one. On the tour, they were playing covers quite a bit. And leading up to the face-to-face -to -face tour, he was doing this and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was specifically to gear up for face-to-face -face where they were doing covers and a song of the other artist. But um, yeah, this was an interesting choice because 
He didn't always do covers during a show. Once again, it was a little slower than, than expected, but a good version. And after you've been playing Billy stuff for a couple hours and you play a Beatles song, it's like running with weights and then taking off the weights. Like, it's so easy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Flies, Especially those early songs it. like that. They're just so light and just, yeah. T-Bone changed hat for everyone keeping score out there. He was wearing a cowboy ah, hat. Right. Now he's wearing like this leather, I don't know what you call that. Yeah. Yeah, almost like a conductor's hat. <laughs> yeah, it's like Ringo. Yeah, it's supposed to snap down, but the snaps up. Yeah, yeah. Thomas, yeah. the tank engine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, that's the a little snap. bit of a stretch, but yeah. I just saw the snap. Yeah. There it is. Right, yeah. nice guitar solo from Tommy. I dig that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one's short and sweet. That's why it's a nice cover to slide in, because it's so short. It doesn't really take you know that much away from doing other songs in the set list. You know, it's the highway to hell of this era. You know, it just gets the crowd pumped. We're coming out of that one into uh, still rock and roll to me, going into Glass House's territory. Mm-hmm. Now we're really into Party Block. Where you know these days we're getting a lot of songs from this record live, we're still rock and roll, and you may be right all the time. But we're also getting Fantasy, Sleeping with the Television on, Don't Ask Me Why, quite a bit. Even all for Lena every now and again. This era, we're only getting like two songs. These two songs from Glass Houses. It's almost like you know once The Stranger came out, things like Weekend Song. Ain't No Crime got cut because they had all these hits they had to make room for. And you wonder a couple albums later, all of a sudden you're you're cutting things from glass houses to make room. Nothing off the bridge here. Or Street Life Serenade. He was only going to play one song, if anything, with the entertainer. But he yeah. wasn't playing that song then either. Right. Actually, and the only song from An Innocent Man is An Innocent Man. You know, once he, he pared down the live show and he didn't have the horn section, he didn't have the backup singers, that eliminated a lot of that, I think. And then when him and Christy Brinkley divorced, <laughs> some of those songs went away for a minute. Yeah, exactly. Just like Just the Way You Are, it's like a hibernation after 82 for a while, a lot of times. It's such a long song. If you have new music coming out, that's like two songs off the new album you can't do because you the uh, Just the Way You Are. <laughs> but yeah, for still rock and roll to me here, I didn't realize at the time, Liberty's using a double bass drum pedal. I couldn't tell you yeah. where he's using it, but there it is. I wonder if he uses it at the beginning for that skip beat. Uh, and especially right now, because Tommy's got that huge bluesy spell B L O O Z Y kind of ZC top solo at the mm-hmm. beginning here. It's a notably lyrical solo there. It's not like a lot of shredding. There's, you know, it's a developed thing. There's some melody to it. There's some, you know, there's development to it. It made it real satisfying. You know, it could have been just like a real squealer or a real like bunch of fast runs because you're all amped up, but he, he gets uh, some good musical ideas going there. Billy's getting loose now. I think he knows it's just, you know, he's on the, the back leg of his whole thing, no matter how overheated and, you know. Yeah, it's the home stretch. balls are right now. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You get, you're getting those, like, sort of effeminate moves. You're getting the Elvis stuff. Serious mic stand twirling there. Like, oh, yeah. Some real color guard level uh, <laughs> movement. And so we got the one-two punch with you, baby, right coming next. I noticed Billy mugging the camera a little bit, kind of like some of the moves he did in the music video. I wonder if he's just relaxed being off the piano at this point, either in general or maybe even, you know, for this show, just being like, thank God, I'm not going under the stage anymore. I'm just like kind of relaxed and having fun here at the end. And when he's doing some of those moves, it's funny because Billy, you know, hadn't had his teeth done yet. So his face still has the younger Billy look, if that makes sense. If you put the big hair on this Billy, it would look very 1980. He's got he's, some of those facial expressions are happening. It was just really weird. I I didn't see that out of him much after that era. 
but he's yeah. he's bringing it back during this song and it's cracking me up yeah it really is he's got that yeah that like that like arched eyebrow like scrunchy face thing he, he used to do a lot more <laughs> where he's kind of leaning with his chin a little bit too yeah but he's, he's sliding all the way across he's really stalking the stage at this point he throws the mic all the way up yes catches it it feels like he's two steps away from flipping flipping a keyboard a la russia right he's still in a good mood but like yeah I wonder if the crew was like, Jesus, if one more thing goes wrong, though, he's going to lose his shit. Like, he's going to lose he's it. He's just right in the zone right now. This could go either way, like, on a, on a right. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually the keyboard player, whoever is in the band at the time, obviously here, Rosenthal, David, um, he's over on the keyboard. He's not over playing the grand piano on this. Usually it's a grand piano going on. He was on something. Yeah, he was uh, on Big Shot, actually. Well, it was a CP80 song, though, wasn't it, on the record? Yeah, on the record it was, but on the live versions from 1980 to 1990, mm-hmm. there's somebody sitting at the grand piano. Yeah, so then we go into Only the Good Die Young. He really tosses that mic stand up pretty high and catches it. Yeah. Good for him, I say. And this, I think this really took it at him, because he's definitely a little fatigued going into Only the Good Die Young. When we watched the concert, I think it was uh, the UK, right, on the Innocent Man tour, yeah, we had the observation that he really like belted one of those songs out and you would think that like, uh oh, he might have lost his voice, but you realize that no, that was controlled. Like he knew how far he could push it without without doing himself a disservice. Uh this time I think <laughs> I think I think he uh sort of outdid himself on you may be right and, and and was feeling it a little during only the good die young. He does pull quite the move and he climbs all the way up on the scaffolding and he stays up there for a minute so i don't think that was planned i think he went for it and was like i gotta be real real careful getting down right now (laughs) yeah yeah which again is something because they did that and then he did it with mark uh was it this one yeah they make the choice to show him carefully 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 climbing down they also make the choice to show mark carefully 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 getting up on the piano like i think like maybe live from long island one of them we've watched where like yeah, the camera's doing this, camera's doing that. When it gets back to the piano, Mark's all the, already on the piano, you know, so you don't know if he jumped up, if, you know, if he stepped up. But this time right. they chose to show him, like, easy, 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 you know, making make, make sure nothing went awry there. Yeah, Billy's definitely doing the prowling of the stage, uh, you know, before he's hanging on the cables and all that, like you said. I noticed no, there's no acoustic guitar going on, just the dual saxophone uh, in the beginning. Mark goes on top of the piano during the... Yeah, that's when he was climbing up real, real easy. Like, hey, you know, what's the necklace he wears? I know. I was trying to key into that, what that is. I I, I don't know what it's called, and I should. Were you raised Catholic, Michael? Yeah. You know the thing with the two saints? It's like a necklace. My grandfather used to wear it. When I was a kid, every once in a while, you'd see him with something. I thought that's what he was wearing, because, like, that's what people, you know, I saw people wear that all the time. Not all the time, but, you know, you saw grown-ups wearing those. And then I I haven't thought about it in years and years and years, and I saw him with his necklace on, and I'm like, no, wait. There was no way he'd be wearing that, you know? Well, I know he used to wear, like, a St. Christopher medal. Maybe that's what that was then. I remember there was a scene in the Russian documentary where he was talking to, like, some rock kids, and one of them was wearing, like, a John Lennon shirt. And so he gave him his necklace during the exchange. Yeah. So maybe that's what he's got on. It's hard to tell. The footage is is fuzzy enough to where you can't really get detail. But it could be another one of those. Yeah, scapular necklace, maybe. Yeah, that's what it is. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Yeah. 
We're going now into the encore, and the encore is about an hour and 53 minutes or so into this show. Just a two-song encore, which is kind of surprising. We've got Big Shot to kick things off, and you got Dave Rosenthal at the piano for this one. What was that magazine? <laughs> Did you see that? Dave's no, playing. Billy's on top of the piano, and he like picks up what looks like a magazine and like just like throws it back down at, at the piano, like 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 jokingly pissed off, like you know, he's, oh, really? he's bugging. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He jumps up. 157, he jumps up. Really takes a jump up there. It looks like he regrets it because he's like, he jumps and he's like, ugh. And he sort of crats down and he gets, he's standing up, dancing around a little, doing this little like tightrope thing. And then he pretends like he's going to pee off the, the side of the piano. He picks something yeah. up. It's not the binder. And the whole time, like, he, he can't get David Rosenthal to react to save his life. Like, you know, if it was Mark Rivera, he'd totally be hamming it back to him. Yeah, he sort of reacts, but, like, just a little. Like, he doesn't he doesn't feed into it. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, yeah, Billy does come over to mess with them a bit. Like, kind of sits behind him back to back on the stool. I mean, granted, yeah, I know Billy is, you know, 74 years old or whatever, and the performances are still great. But I loved the era where Billy was up and working the stage and doing all these crazy things. I don't know. It was just a fun time. When you look at this one, more than even Live from Long Island or the, the one in, the, in England, he seems to just like do whatever. You know, he, a lot of this doesn't seem to be staged or blocked out. He's just kind of like, you know, he knows he can jump on the piano, but he doesn't know what's going to happen once he gets up there. Yeah, it's whatever's striking him in the moment. Nice guitar work, too, from Tommy on this song. Tommy is uh, one of my MVPs of this show. He really is playing great, great stuff tonight. I mean, he's a great player. But he's really shining for me tonight. Kind of being the spark on this one in, in a lot of places. It's sort of almost like a second encore because everybody like appears to almost be leaving. Liberty gets up from the drums. Crystal, everyone's waving to the crowd. So they, they do kind of give it the false ending for a minute. Liberty comes downstage to Billy. You don't see Billy Lib get that far <laughs> off the kit. Except for when he uh, grabbed David Brown's hat at the Yankee Stadium. Liberty is the one guy in the band who could get away with it. He just see, and he has the personality that I think he's the only one who one would feel comfortable doing that kind of stuff, and two could get away with it with everyone just being like, "Oh, that's just Lib being Lib." Yeah, everybody else is like two tours in at most, right? Other than Mark, yeah, yeah, that's true. And Mark, yeah, yeah. but Mark has uh, free reign, so he's mobile as it is. Crystal and Tommy both joined on Stormfront. Tommy joined halfway through the tour. And then this is, yeah, David Rosenthal's first tour. And, you know, T-Bone's just back there in the pocket, holding it down. Hey, where'd they get the sparklers from? <laughs> I noticed that too, man. Like, how'd they get those in the venue? I mean, this is pre-9-11. You could probably bring in anything. <laughs> We've never seen that before, as far as I know. No. But you know what? They, somebody had to give it to him, because the more I'm looking at it, it's really kind of only the people right up front. Yeah, so it's like a pocket of them up there. For the last song here, we're going into Piano Man, and I like we've got a little switcheroo going on. You have T-Bone moving over to accordion, and Crystal moving over to bass. And I tell you what, I love having a live accordion on this track. It's one of those things like, yeah, you could do it with a synth, but it just never has the same effect. It makes me wonder how often, if ever, they brought out Vienna on this tour, because that'd be another great one to have the live accordion. It's Piano Man. We know what we're going to get, and it's a, it's a good rendition. Uh, he is beleaguered at the end, by the end of this one. They worked hard tonight. It's funny because I remember my first time watching this. For some reason, I wasn't keying into the temperature. And first was like, wow, he just looks tired or hungover. Subsequent watches in the past 10 years, 
I was like, no, he is just about ready to drop from heat exhaustion. The fact that they powered yeah. through it. Oh, my gosh. Right. And you look at what a couple of them are wearing, too. Like, Dave Rosenthal's got the long sleeve shirt on. Mark has it rolled up, and he's just sweating right through it. Billy, like, sort of collapses half-jokingly down and leans on the avenue as he waves to people. Crystal's wearing leather. That's not breathing. At least, like, her arms are open and stuff, you know. But that's the show. It's, um, I wouldn't put much stock in just listening to it for the most part. I think honesty is the exception there but watching it you get a nice little behind the scenes kind of peek at a few things there's that tension of like what the hell is going on between the hydraulics and the temperature in the place um you know i think those make it a fun one to watch because it's it's a little behind the scenes it's not polished and you're and you're watching the band like actually work through it i like that it's to me the heat was such a big factor in making this a unique show. I'm sure they would have all preferred not to have to deal with it, certainly. Right. But <laughs> it, it kind of made them gel together in a way like, all right, we're we're in this together. We're sweating it out. Let's just do this. And it, it was kind of a bonding force out of their control that connected them. If it was a venue where they were all comfortable, it may have just been another show. Uh, But it kind of gave it something different. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's something different. It's that sense of like, yeah, he's going to climb the scaffolding, but he's also like, but there's there's more tension to it. And it's kind of fun watching him carefully, carefully get back down, little things like that. You know, you wonder, too, if he um, if he sort of hammed it up a little more at the end than he usually does because he felt bad. You know, like he didn't have it in him at the beginning and he knew he was like kind of phoning it in for a couple songs there. And then, you know, really made the commitment to be engaging at the end. That's a possibility. So that is Billy Joel Frankfurt, 1994. Let us know what you think. Um, you know, you guys have watched this. Have you seen the full one versus just the uh, the DVD version? Uh, our buddy Danny Fox has recently uploaded uh, the DVD on there. So it's not the whole show, but it's a really, really good picture. Got some good source on that. So it's it's super clear. But, you know, if you want to really see the Warts and All one, you know, just go down to the uh, two-hour, six-minute version. That gives you the whole thing. Yeah, where does this sort of uh, fit for people that have seen Billy so many times? You know, do you notice this sort of thing? Have you seen these sort of moments on stage or these sort of nights where, you know, he's unable to hide when something's going wrong or like, you know, his his mood seems to to go up and down during the night? Um, You know, I haven't seen him live nearly as many times as many of you have. So I always enjoy getting everybody's perspective on, you know, the pantheon of live shows that they've seen and how they all compare. Especially people that have seen them for decades. I'm really glad this exists, like I said, because I saw the River of Dreams tour. I saw it January and March of 94, three different times in Michigan. And I was 14 when these shows happened. You know, you remember some moments, perhaps, but the grand scheme of things, it's really hard to remember how the show looked and how it sounded and what the band was like and all these different things. So to have a pro shot document of the River of Dreams tour... It really did take me back to seeing all these shows. It really did jog my memory considerably because until this popped up, I had no recollection of how the stage looked, where the band was positioned on stage and the two pianos. I didn't really retain that. I was young. Uh, So it was a real treat to revisit that. And it really heightened my concert memories having this concert documented. First time I saw him was on this tour and I was 12. You know, not only that, but watching it as an adult and, you know, understanding so much more about life and, and, you know, what's actually going on around it and understanding what goes into it. I mean, obviously when I saw him in Nassau Coliseum, he wasn't having these problems, technical problems, but fills in some blanks for me as to, you know, what the band looked like, what that interaction looked like on stage. Like I remember him running to the keyboard for pressure. Clearly he couldn't do that tonight, but 
you know, <laughs> I don't remember him having the the uh, the the, pia- the second piano though. I don't think that was a thing. Uh, I think I would have remembered huh. that. As I said, though, you know, reach out. Do you want to do the um, the contact info yeah. this time, Michael? Tell them where to find so- us. <laughs> Unless you're a bill collector. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry, new phone. Who dis? <laughs> um, yeah. So you can find us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We also have a great Discord server where we've got great discussions and monthly watch parties. So you can find us online there. You can also reach out to us at glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find our one-stop shop on our website, glasshousespod.com. We'd love to connect with each and every one of you and hear your thoughts and your feedback, certainly. Yeah, always great. Always great to hear from people. Always great to connect on Discord. I'm not as active in it as Michael is because I'm not that great at forums. I'm either not that great at forums or like, I better not be because I'll just spend all day and not get anything done. But I do, I, I always enjoy popping in and like just checking out the conversations and seeing it, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, just, just uh, seeing like this constant conversation between like, you know, a few regulars and more people coming in and becoming regulars. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been one of the amazing byproducts of doing the podcast is this community that has built up over the last three plus years. Uh, you guys all are fantastic. You give us a lot of drive and inspiration. And, you know, it's a pleasure bringing these new episodes every two weeks. And we, we have a great time doing it. If you can't tell, we we certainly wouldn't have been doing it this long if we didn't enjoy it. You, you really give us the energy and the fuel to uh, keep it going. And as we go along, we're uncovering more and more little nuggets and pockets of Billy's career that are untapped there's so much more to go and we're just so glad to have you all on the ride but for now it's late i'm tired it's hot in here and i'm turning on the friggin' air conditioner sam thanks again everyone we'll see you soon see you soon It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.